the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do you realize that God can only use truth and evidence to win people to Jesus? He can't play around with dishonesty. And so we should proclaim the truth as it is in Jesus in such a way that men and women can turn to God without fear in their lives. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the first portion of From Pit to Power. Again, that's from Pit to Power, and we'll get to that message here in just a moment. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father God, we are grateful today that in Jesus Christ, we have all the answers. Now, we may not know what they are, But if we know Jesus, we have the answers. Father, may we place our fear aside. May we raise our heads high. May we realize that it doesn't matter what pit we fall into or someone pushes us into, that God is in that place and becomes a divine decree that can take us from pit to power, power of God in our lives. And so, Lord, may we treasure the full journey, not just the outcome. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jacob's journey to Bethel, he settled down in Shechem. How many of you remember the storyline in the book of Genesis? Settled down in Shechem, a little shy of where he should have been. He bought a field to live on for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father. It was in an ideal spot, he thought, where trade and commerce was good, just shy of Bethel, where he should have been. Jacob's settling down with his family is recorded in Genesis 33, verses 18 through 20. And let's look at verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land in which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it Elohe Israel, which means the God of Israel. Israel, of course, was Jacob's new name. He settled down in Shechem. He bought a field. It became the hangout zone for the brothers of Joseph and Joseph also. Shechem was also the name of the younger man who had seduced Dina, Jacob's daughter, by Leah. And so it was not just the name of the place, it was the name of the boy who was the young, hot guy moving around the fields looking for a bride that came upon Dina. He compromised her. It was an awful thing. And then suddenly he wanted to marry her and he asked for permission to marry her. It's an amazing story. A deal was cut with Joseph's brothers. These brothers were engaged for their sister's honor. That if the sons of Hamar should be circumcised like the sons of Jacob, 
they would all agree to let the marriage proceed. So everybody had to be circumcised. They were lying to them all. They were lying through their teeth. Now, Jacob had a problem with lying in his earlier years. He lied to get the birthright from Esau. And his sons, like him, had to learn the hard way, the better way, that this is not the way God works. God values the truth in our lives. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever told a little fib? Come on. Don't lie. Don't lie. The hand goes up. The Bible says every person is deceitful. We are intrinsically deceitful as human beings. And when we run from the truth, the truth is not our friend. Do you realize that God can only use truth and evidence to win people to Jesus? He can't play around with dishonesty. And so we should proclaim the truth as it is in Jesus in such a way that men and women can turn to God without fear in their lives and they can come to know him. The truth is our friend. Hamar was happy and so was Shechem. Hey, look, it looks like we're going to be part of a big family clan here. He was happy that everyone could just get along and form a new community out there in the field at Shechem as the model community for the Canaanites where people could merge their religions, their family, their experiences, and so on. When Hamor and his sons were still sore from the circumcision procedure, Joseph's older brother rose up and killed Shechem, Hamor, and all the males of the city with a sword. It just says it in passing in the scripture like it happened. It was a massacre born out of pure hate and revenge. The women and the children of the city were taken captive by Jacob's sons. And Jacob's bad boys most likely sold these grieving women and wives and their children into slavery to get rid of them so no one would think about what they did. Of course, they justified it because of what had happened to their sister. Joseph's journey to Egypt started in Shechem. Because Jacob left Shechem after the awful ordeal of what his sons had done to Hamor and Shechem and the whole clan. But Joseph will find his place back at Shechem. And from there he will launch to Dathan. And from there to Egypt. Shechem is a key spot in the experience of Joseph. God got Jacob out of that place. God got his family out of that place. They needed a new beginning. There are times in our lives as Christians when we as parents must start over with our children. There are times in which children must grow up and accept the faith of their parents for themselves, not because mom and dad has the faith. Look at Genesis 34, 30 to chapter 35, verse 1. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious to the inhabitants of this land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? Now look at Jacob's reasoning here. He's saying, me, 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 I, I, I. You see that? When it's me, 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 I, 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 you're not thinking about others in your family. You're not thinking about your children. You're not thinking about outcomes. You're concerned about yourself. Jacob needed to start over. He had not come to Bethel. He comes shy of Bethel. And God needed to move him on for his life to begin anew. Jacob was crushed by this awful crime against Tamar and Shechem. And God appeared to Jacob and God told him to leave that awful field of Shechem and finish the journey and go to Bethel. Bethel in Hebrew means house of God. 
You see, when things are rotten, when your life falls apart, when your family is in ruins, it is time to finish the journey in your life and go back to the house of God. We've been living in a COVID-19 crisis. People have been getting used to living on the internet, having church from a distance. But friends, the time is coming. God is calling us back to Bethel, to the house of God, because we need to be where God is at. Genesis 35, 1 to 3, God said to Jacob, arise Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. After the awful crimes of Jacob's sons, Jacob rededicated his life to God. That's what's happening here. Not because he could, but because God was reaching out to him. He made a firm decision to eliminate all compromise from his life and his family life also. To get it right for God at last. Friends, Christ is coming soon. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Jesus is coming soon. God would have us get it right at last for the sake of the coming of Christ for our family and our own souls. Verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments Then let us arise and go up to Bethel that I may make there an altar to the God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Sometimes we get the idea God is with us once we figure it all out. But that's not the case in Jacob's life. God was with him as he was figuring it out. So God is with us. So they gave to Jacob, the scripture says, all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears... And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was near Shechem. Now, every part of the Bible matters. We shouldn't ignore scriptures just because we don't understand them. Let's focus in on this. The oak at Shechem was the first place God had appeared to Abraham when he arrived in the land of Canaan in Genesis 12, verse 6. We need revival right now in our church. We need it locally. We need it nationally. We need it internationally. Because unless a revival that is true and sound occurs, Jesus will not return. Because God cannot use half-baked, compromised, lukewarm Christians to finish the work of God on earth. God must have people who are 100% His to have the holy zeal, wisdom, and vision to take the truth of the three angels' messages to the entire globe. He cannot use lukewarm Christianity. In fact, I'll say something that may in fact surprise some of you. I have read recently the characteristics of the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation. I was curiously made aware by the analysis that the problem with Laodicea is very similar to the description of the harlot in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. The Laodicean church is rich and increased with goods. The harlot of the apocalypse is rich. She boasts of her wealth. The church of Laodicea is self-possessed. It is confident in itself. So the harlot is. Now, the Laodicean church is not the harlot. But unless we as Laodicea repent, we function as a harlot. That's what the text is showing. You cannot be half with God and be in remnant capacity. Now, friend, the remnant church will stand strong at the time of the end. It will be a converted people committed to the word of God, uncompromising in their prophetic vision. We must align with God's word. God's word doesn't have to align with us. Do you see the difference? We must always align with the truth to be the people of the truth. 
When revival breaks out for real in the church, certain things have to be buried under the big oak tree and the altar where God appeared. You got to put things in the ground to get it right with God. To see God and have revival in your life, friend, you have to bury certain things that get in the way of your relationship with God. Bury them deep. They buried their idols. And what else did they bury there? What does the text say? Their jewelry, their earrings. They put them in the ground. They buried them. And they were never known by it again. The same thing happened in Mount Sinai. From Sinai on, they took it off. And they were known as a pure, humble, holy people. Motivated by the truth of God in their lives. They buried their idols, their jewelry at Shechem, and they left them in the ground at the tree where the Lord had appeared to Abram many years before. And they changed their garments also. The latest seen church in the book of Revelation, which is us, it is bereft of the righteousness of Christ. It does not have the white robe because it's absorbed with itself. And so when we have real revival in the church, we must recognize that we need the spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ to cover the awful rags of our rottenness. And in Christ only are we complete. In Christ, we are good enough for the judgment day. In Christ, we can stand before him without shame. Without Christ, we are absolutely nothing. So they change their garments also. When your life, friend, is in tatters because of unbelief and disobedience, it's time to put on the garments of Jesus Christ's righteousness and walk before Him in His name, in His robe, and be accepted because of Jesus. I believe in an objective righteousness that's outside of me and my feelings. How many of you ever felt unrighteous in your life? How many of you ever been unrighteous? You messed up. Well, that's us. You see, God is giving us in Jesus an objective righteousness that's outside of us, that covers us, that is forensic. It covers our need for the judgment day. It declares us not guilty. And in relationship to Jesus, we share the full acceptance of God as if we had never sinned. It's huge. And friend, that truth affects how we live. Because when we are covered by the righteousness of Christ, we will want the righteousness of Christ inside of us so that our lives live out that which we have been given. When Jacob sent Joseph to check in on his brothers, he was concerned. Jacob had taken up residence in Bethel at God's command. Shechem, their old home, was a bad memory left far behind, an empty field of ruins. Shechem was just a field with ruins, as I said, where a city used to be because they destroyed it. No life was there except for sheep at times. And when Joseph's brothers would take their flocks, that's when the sheep would show up. Otherwise, it was just a dead place. In Genesis 37, Jacob sent Joseph to Shechem to check in on his very bad brothers. They had committed murder at Shechem, and Jacob was worried that they were back there again, playing around with trouble. In that same old awful place, they had a way of finding trouble. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, he found a man wandering the fields who told him that his brothers had moved the flocks to Dothan. Now, Dothan was a day's journey from Shechem, so it took one day to get there. The name Dothan means law or decree. In fact, in the book of Daniel in the Aramaic, the word for law, he will think to change laws, times and laws in Daniel 7.25, is the word dot. It's built off of the root word for Dothan, law or decree. At Dothan, Jacob's son seized Joseph with his coat of many colors, and they threw him into the pit at Dothan. Now, don't ignore that name. You see, the pit was fixed in the place called Dothan, which means the place of the law, the place of the decree. 
For Joseph, the decree of God had become a journey from pit to power. Joseph ended up in that pit because God was making it happen. God was allowing this awful circumstance in Joseph's life to put him on a journey from pit to power to make a difference for others. The pit for Joseph was no accident in God's plan. Let's apply it in our life. Maybe you've fallen into a pit. Maybe you have experienced a downfall. Maybe you have stumbled. Maybe you are stuck deep in a situation you can't dig out of. Have you ever been in something like that? Feel like you can't dig out of it? We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. In the place of the divine decree, which is that pit, Dothan, God would have you remember that God is in the pit with you, and God can take that pit and turn it into purpose in your life. There are times in life we think that a pit is a setback, but not from God's perspective. It can be a launching for a new adventure with God in your life. Dear heart, when you fall into a pit, remember that God is in the pit with you. And don't you ever forget for one holy minute of that time with God that God has left you or that it is meaningless. God is with you in the pit. Joseph was sold into slavery from Dothan, the place of the pit, to the captain of the guard in Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And Joseph lived in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife, the cougar, that's the name we've given her, the cougar, The one seeking out that younger man, the cougar, accused Joseph of trying to rape her. Changed his life. Redirected the course of his existence. He moves now from prosperity in Potiphar's house. He's thrown into prison. Potiphar very likely threw him into that prison, which was called the prison of the roundhouse in Hebrew, to keep his wife away from Joseph, more so than keeping Joseph away from his wife. I think he must have known what was going on. In fact, we know from ancient archaeological evidence that the crime that Joseph was accused of would have brought the death penalty. Potiphar didn't believe it for a minute, but he put him in this prison to protect Joseph and to keep his wife away from him. And Joseph, of course, was the victim of that. The prison was probably near Potiphar's house or on his property. In fact, the evidence is it was a slaughterhouse. Throwing Joseph in prison was most likely Potiphar's way, as I said, of keeping his wife, the cougar, away from Joseph. Joseph lived in the prison that was called the roundhouse in Hebrew because life for him seemed nothing more than the circle of the mundane day after day after day, meaningless living, going around and around and around. It was the place where Potiphar as the chief executioner would kill Pharaoh, Pharaoh's enemies. So Joseph must have seen many a person die in that prison who was executed. It was the slaughterhouse, a place of death. And he became Pastor Joseph, ministering to people in their last moments of life or those who lingered on. Now in Genesis 40 verse 4, the captain of the guard instructed Joseph to watch over the butler and the baker who had been thrown into Pharaoh's prison with Joseph and the others. Now we have two possibilities here. One possibility is that the captain of the guard is in fact Potiphar. The other possibility is it's a new person. The Bible doesn't tell us. I tend to think it has shifted but there's no way to really know for sure. This may or may not have been Potiphar. 
I think this verse might suggest that Potiphar was no longer the captain of the guard because his name is not mentioned in chapter 40 at all. But also a transition is not mentioned. So we just don't have the answer to that question. But you don't hold post forever in a kingdom. And so the role changes. And a new captain of the guard can take the place of the old when you aren't as strong as before. But the Bible has not definitively answered that question for us. When Joseph interpreted the butler's dream and the baker's dream in the prison, they were thrown there because they'd done some awful offense to the Pharaoh. Within a few days, the interpretation came true. The butler was back at Pharaoh's side and the baker was dead hanging on a tree. Joseph had predicted that based on their dreams. Joseph appealed to the butler. He knew he was going to make it. He appealed to him to speak a good word to Pharaoh to release him because he was innocent. Joseph was 28 years old when he was appealing to the butler. When you get to Pharaoh, make a difference in my life. Look at Genesis 40, verse 14. He said, but remember me when it is well with you and do me the kindness. I pray you to make mention of me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. Can you feel Joseph's pain there? Can you feel him wanting to be free? It's poignant. Now look at verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Oh, wow. Loaded language in the narrative. If this is where the story ends, Joseph's life is over. I mean, he's toast. He's a failure. He's finished. There's no worse fate in life than to be forgotten, to feel like you've been left behind, but more so to know that you have been left behind and no one cares about you. To be the forgotten person hidden away in a prison is worse than falling in a pit. He's moved the pit to the prison, which is more awful than it was before. Joseph had moved from the pit at Dothan, as I said, which means the divine decree to Egypt and then to prison again, since every pit is a prison. If you were to take a snapshot of Joseph's life at the age of 28, you would see a young man who for all intents and purposes had become the ultimate failure. A man going nowhere, living in the circle of the roundhouse, the circle of the mundane, tick-tock, 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 life running out. Joseph is the forgotten man at the age of 28. Friend, we should never forget that God was in that prison with Joseph. And as the time ticks slowly in that dark prison, the prison of the roundhouse that epitomized the circle of the mundane, God was himself moving Joseph one step forward, moment by moment, to the seat of power in Egypt by divine decree and by degree, by time degree in his life. This is the context of Pharaoh's two dreams that are introduced in Genesis 41 and verse 1. Take your Bibles and turn with me there. Verse 1, Genesis 41. The key word is the word after. See, everything's a setup for what happens here. After. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. From outer space, the Nile River looks like a giant cobra with its head dipping into the Mediterranean Sea in what was called Lower Egypt. We should take note of that fact. The Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim. It's a dual Hebrew plural noun. You see, in the Hebrew language, you can have plural generally, which means more than two. But they have an ending for plural as two, a dual plural ending in the word, in the noun. And the word Mitzrayim is a dual plural form noun that implies the two Egypts of upper and lower Egypt. Upper and lower Egypt. It's built right into the name for Egypt. 
The cobra was the symbol of Lower Egypt, and the vulture was the symbol of Upper Egypt. Both the cobra and the vulture appear on the burial crown face mask of Tutankhamun that John Carter discovered on February 16, 1923. The Hebrew name for Nile means river of light, or it will shine. When the Nile River overflows its banks, the cobra looks like a giant dragon flapping its wings on the ground as the waters overflow to look like dragon's wings, if you are looking at it from outer space. Now, some people say, well, Pastor Mike, they weren't looking at it from outer space. How do you know? I'm just kidding. We do know this, that the three great pyramids of Giza were fashioned to look like the Orion's belt, the three great stars. They were intricately focused on astronomy in ancient Egypt. We know that the pyramid is aligned with the true north of the earth. You would have to have an advanced knowledge of math and science to build the great pyramid of Giza. These were smart people who did this. Don't kid yourself for a minute. The precision of those blocks that form the great pyramid, it cannot be reproduced today. We couldn't do it today. Just don't know how. They did it. Master geniuses put together that complex there in its oldest form. They say the Sphinx is as old as the Great Pyramid of Giza or even older. It shows the evidence of having been totally submerged by water. We don't know if it's pre-flood or post-flood for sure. This is one of the great wonders of the world. So the Hebrew name for Nile means the river of light or it will shine. And that's the devil's kingdom. Is always Egypt in Scripture, since it is the serpent kingdom of the ancient dragon, the devil, and Satan. Now, never forget that Satan himself, according to the Apostle Paul, masquerades as an angel of light. The Nile means light, and thus the next word is behold, and it looks like a dragon cobra. Verse 2, let's look at the word. The next word says, behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, sleek and fat, and they fed and the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, gaunt and thin, came up out of the Nile, and after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and thin cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, and Pharaoh woke. Now look at verse 5, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Well, Pharaoh's second dream will need to wait till the next time we're together. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time for the first portion of From Pit to Power, today's broadcast with Pastor Mike. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.